0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 401. We are well into the month of February. This is the devotional for February 5th, 2023, if you're doing this when we originally posted it. But uh, part of the purpose of this project is so that we have... Uh, sort of a complete devotional commentary on the whole Bible that's available online for years to come. So you might be stumbling across this in the year 2025 or 2028 or 2031 or whatever. Uh, This is day 401 of our three-year plan of going through the Bible. We say one chapter per day and then I always feel like that's a little bit deceitful when we come to the Psalms because we usually cover two or three Psalms at a time. we didn't make up this reading plan we borrowed it from another church Uh, it's a great mix of old testament new testament with psalms and proverbs each portion of the bible gets one um, focus so some bible reading plans have you reading through the psalms two or three or four times over the course or reading through the new testament twice old testament once this is every chapter once right but when you come to the psalms usually it's two or three at a time. So and those are usually a challenge for me to do in a brief period of time. And here I am going on and on in the introduction already. But if you want a more detailed treatment of any of the psalms, I did a a psalm at a time devotional that are all available uh, probably the same place you got this. So YouTube, Sermon Audio, Facebook. They're not on Spotify or the podcast platforms, but you can go to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page, or our Sermon Audio page, and you can find all of the psalms. And it's a one devotional per psalm format there. Anyway, let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to Psalms 58 and 59 today. Father, we look to you through your word. We want to see your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We want to walk with you in faith and obedience, in love and gratitude. In hope and trust, we pray that you would be our God and be our guide through your word today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Psalm 58 is written to the choirmaster, according to Do Not Destroy, which is probably the tune that it is set to. And it is a mictum of David. Mictum, we don't know exactly what it means. That's why it's left untranslated but it probably means a teaching psalm or a psalm for instruction. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods or you mighty ones? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts, you devise wrongs. Your your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O oh, God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims, His arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees this the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. That is Psalm 58, and and it's a tough one. On one level, we can say that this shows us what human nature is really like. It teaches us about our own natural condition. You can lay this alongside Romans chapter 3 or Ephesians chapter 2. And you can see that this is unfolding for us the natural condition of all people. We go astray from birth speaking lies. Let's look very briefly at these two other passages just to see what we mean by that. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. by nature no one does good not even one there is no one righteous and what does ephesians 2 say about us as believers what we were and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if we come back to Psalm 58, we can say, really, when it talks about the wicked and how the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth speaking lies, they have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, right? Deaf to God is really the, the analogy like a deaf adder doesn't hear a snake charmer. So the wicked by nature don't hear the voice of God in their conscience. In your hearts, you devise wrong. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. On one level, we can understand this as simply showing us what human nature is like apart from God. And it's true. That is what we are all like. Now, on another level, though, this is not just a general statement about the way all people are. Because David has in mind here a particular group of people, mighty people, the gods of the earth. Who are the gods of the earth? Those who are in power, those who who administer justice, those who rule in this world. And so the question is, do you indeed decree what is right? Or in other words, do you judge the children of man uprightly? Do those who are in power rule with justice? Do they make just judgments? And the answer in this psalm is no, 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 they don't. And that much really hasn't changed, has it? We live in in a culture where Injustice is administered from the benches of justice, from the halls of justice all the time. I remember the the case several years ago uh, of of the man who went undercover uh, exposing Planned Parenthood clinics in California for being willing to sell off aborted baby parts uh, to medical researchers to make money as a way to boost Planned Parenthood revenues, and he caught them on video uh, agreeing to these kinds of transactions and even agreeing to adjust the type of abortion procedures they would do so as to focus not on women's health care, which they uh, so so uh, wrongly say that they do, right? but not to focus on women's health care, but to focus on how can we best preserve the fetus so that it is um, so that it is a viable commodity, right? And it was such a disgusting series of videos that came out. But what happened as a result of that is that the the justice system went after him and not Planned Parenthood. They went after him for exposing this, for illegally recording these things, instead of going after Planned Parenthood for doing what was illegal, uh, even under the the state laws of of California. And so we have things like that. We have people who, I remember another case in Texas where um, a father basically lost custody and even visitation rights of his child because the child was identifying trans and he wanted to refer to the child by uh, her her birth gender and her birth uh, name and the mother in the divorce was supporting this child in a gender transition and the judge basically said if you refer to your daughter as a girl then you can never see her. If you acknowledge the gender that God gave her at birth, then you can never see her. She will not be a part of your life, and you will not be a part of her life if you acknowledge reality. We live in a nation where it's okay to kill unborn babies, but it's not okay to call a boy a boy and a girl a girl. I mean, these things are outrageous. And so this is a psalm for when there is outrageous injustice in the land. That's what this psalm is for. Psalm 58 is for crying out against outrageous injustice. We could think of times when slavery was popular and you had professing Christians who would own other human beings and, and who later would classify certain human beings as being less deserving of, of rights and equality because of the color of their skin and the continent of their origin. That was a horrible injustice that was perpetuated by Christians, mostly in America, for hundreds of years. That was disgusting. Injustice. The slave trade, slavery, Jim Crow laws, uh, institutionalized discrimination was was horrific for hundreds of years. You could go back before that and think of uh, the way that things were in the ancient world where warfare would frequently involve, you know, taking slaves captive and, you know, stealing women to be your own wives, stealing children to be your own children, and selling off the men to be slaves. We live in a vile world. You could go to anywhere in the world and you could see present day examples of grave injustice And you can trace back a history of a long line of grave injustice. And that's what Psalm 58 is really all about. Psalm 58 is really all about praying against institutionalized, empowered injustice. And it is an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm offers imprecation, calling down God's curses on those who perpetuate wickedness in the world. So, we could think of places where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. We can think of places where wars are being conducted unjustly. Now, some people are uncomfortable with imprecatory Psalms. They say, as Christians, we're called to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. We are called to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek. But that doesn't preclude us from calling upon God for justice. One of the places where we see imprecation in the, New, in the New Testament is in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, which begins this section of how do we apply the gospel to our lives, begins with a very famous verse, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, what does this transformed life look like? Verse 9 calls us to let love be genuine. And verse 14 calls us to bless those who persecute us. But look at what we do, even as we love with a genuine love, even as we bless those who persecute us, look at what verse 19 says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is the New Testament saying that injustice and persecution don't matter to God anymore and that we should just not care about them? No. No. But it's calling us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, even as we leave it to the wrath of God to repay with evil those who are doing evil in the world. You see, we don't look at an event like the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler and say, oh well, that's okay. We'll just not care about that. You don't look at You know persecution of Christians around the world, people being imprisoned and put to death for their faith, or the slaughter of millions and millions of unborn children every year. Over 90% of abortions in the world take place outside of the United States. So while we focus on the nearly a million a year abortions in America every year, we should be aware of the fact that there are millions and millions more taking place outside of the United States. And so what do we do? We don't take revenge. You see, the world would say, either you let it go, or you take revenge. Either you overlook it and you tolerate it, or you take it into your own hands and make them pay. And that is exactly what the Bible doesn't call us to. The Bible calls us to reject worldly ways of thinking, including that one, this either-or, Either you let it go or you take care of it yourself. No. You trust God. You cry out to God. Which means we pray against evil in the world. Even as we love our enemies. And bless those who persecute us. Excuse me. Struggling with a bit of sickness. So, got to keep the tea. This is hot tea. Just to keep everything... Nice. So that's Psalm 58. It calls us to trust in God. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. People who are uncomfortable with this, people who say, oh, this isn't the way that we should pray and this isn't the way that Christians should be, I often wonder, what are they going to think when Jesus comes again? Because this prayer, Psalm 58, will be answered ultimately and finally when Jesus comes again. And when we pray the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for this speedy second coming of Jesus. And when he comes, the Bible is very clear. It will be a final and bloody day of vengeance and judgment on the whole world for their continued stubborn rebellion against God. So we are to pray against injustice boldly, confidently, waiting for Jesus to return and settle it, trusting in God to even take care of it in the meantime. But we are to love our enemies. We are to bless those who persecute us. We are to share the gospel with them, that they might be delivered from the ignorant darkness they're in, and that they might have a positive testimony of how the gospel changes hearts and lives. We're to do those two things. Trust God and love our enemies. Let's move on to Psalm 59 which is written to the choirmaster, and it's again according to Do Not Destroy. I don't know if this means these two are set to the same tune. That is the most likely explanation. It is again a mictim of David. We're told that this is when Saul sent men to his house in order to kill him. So this is specifically from David's life, which we've been looking at in 1 Samuel. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel." Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil, Selah. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision O oh, my strength I will watch for you for you O oh God are my fortress my God in his steadfast love will meet me God will let me look in triumph on my enemies kill them not lest my people forget make them totter by your tower power and bring them down O oh Lord our shield for the sin of their mouths the words of their lips Let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. That they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Selah. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Psalm 59 continues many of the themes from Psalm 58. It is another imprecatory psalm against injustice, but this time, instead of looking at the earthly powers who judge unjustly on a societal level, this is much more personal. It's still an earthly power, King Saul, but it's personal. David is personally being persecuted, personally being hounded. And he's crying out to God in much the same way. Although he is asking, what's he asking for? Protection and deliverance, salvation. From this very real threat against his life, he's trusting in God for this. He wants them to be punished, but not killed. I thought that was interesting. Verse 11, don't kill them lest your people forget, but bring them down. But what I wanted to point out here is one of the things that makes David a man after God's own heart, one of the things that makes the Psalms so wonderful and helpful, is that this Psalm 59 goes farther than Psalm 58 in anchoring hope in God. It goes a little bit more extensively and a little bit more in depth into anchoring our hope in God. Verse 8 very much echoes A verse from Psalm 2, the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain, but the the God in heaven laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. The Lord laughs at the injustice that wicked men perpetuate because he knows that he is going to make things right. And he has the power to repay eternally for things that are done in time. And so he says that God is his strength. And he's going to watch and wait. God is his fortress. But notice three times what he says is the reason why God will act and the reason why he's hoping in him. Verse 10. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. That's why God will act. And then, um, verse There's a second line missing. Verse 10, my God in his steadfast love will act. And verse 16, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, right? And verse 17, the very end, the God who shows me steadfast love. Sorry, my... Head's a little foggy from not feeling well, so. Verse 10, verse 16, verse 17, three times David says, God's going to act because of his steadfast love for me. I'm going to sing of his steadfast love. And he is the God who shows me steadfast love. This is that wonderful Hebrew word chesed that I've pointed out so many times. If you're familiar with my teaching on the Psalms at all, it's my favorite Hebrew word It's wonderful. It's how God treats us according to the covenant promises he's made to us and according to his own character of goodness and love and grace to us, not according to what we deserve. So it's God's love, justice, mercy, grace, faithfulness, kindness, tenderness. It's his chesed. It's his steadfast love committed from the covenant he's made with us, which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, not according to what we deserve, And that's such a wonderful thing. And that's his hope. So David knows God's going to act, not because David is so righteous, but because God is so full of steadfast love. And so he's going to praise God for his steadfast love. And God's going to be the one who shows his steadfast love. Ultimately, this deliverance, this salvation, this rescue from our enemies is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every promise of God, 2 Corinthians one twenty says, every promise of God finds its yes in him. Salvation, deliverance, justice forever comes because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself on the cross. He's conquered death in the resurrection and he's coming again to take us home to be with himself. And so we can sing of God's steadfast love in the morning and at midday and at the evening because God's steadfast love has been fulfilled in Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for Psalms 58 and 59. I know this was a little bit longer one than normal, but I hope it was good and beneficial to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your steadfast love, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Keep us in that steadfast love today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Back to 1 Samuel tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for that. And as always, have a blessed day in the Lord.